trusting criminals encrypted communications in the Netherlands, what to expect at ISMG's upcoming healthcare security and legal and compliance summit in New York, and dealing with third-party risk in the age of ransomware. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Once again, a supposedly secure service marketed to criminals has proven to not be quite as secure as they would like it to be, in a case that occurred in the Netherlands this week. Encrypted messaging handset provider Blackbox's supposedly secure communications network was dismantled after Dutch police seized its server. To tell us more, here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today and Europe, Matthew Schwartz. Not for the first time, police say they've busted an operation that was selling supposedly secure communications services to criminals. On Tuesday, police in eastern Netherlands reported that they'd been able to intercept and decrypt communications the criminals were making via a Dutch provider called Blackbox. Blackbox sold hardware called Iron Phones that had been stripped of most of their functionality, save for their ability to send and receive supposedly encrypted messages and images. For that, Blackbox used a customized version of end-to-end messaging software called OTR for off-the-record. The devices also featured a panic button, which would wipe all data from the device with a single press. In return, users paid 1,500 euros, equivalent to about $1,700, for a six-month subscription. At some point, however, police seized Blackbox's site and server, which apparently gave them the ability to decrypt messages. Police said they reviewed more than 250,000 encrypted chats. Police chose to reveal their operation this week, however, and the fact that 14 individuals so far have been arrested because criminals were getting suspicious, not of their encrypted smartphones, but rather of each other. Police said criminals thought someone had turned informer after the police successfully disrupted a drugs lab, conducted house searches, seized automatic weapons, drugs, including cocaine and MDMA, also known as ecstasy, as well as 90,000 euros in cash. Police knew the criminals were getting suspicious because they were actively intercepting black box encrypted chat messages. And so to avoid the potential of innocent bystanders being caught up in any ensuing violence, the police came clean. Now, this isn't the first time that users of an allegedly secure service have been caught out. In March, the U.S. Department of Justice charged five individuals with running a secure smartphone service called Phantom Secure that was designed and marketed to help criminals evade law enforcement agencies, the FBI says. It also notes that users of the service included at least one known member of Mexico's Sinola cartel. Other allegedly secure services and sites that have failed to live up to their billing include so-called darknet marketplaces that can only be reached by using the anonymizing Tor browser and which only accept payment in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, such as Monero. Last year, for example, the FBI on July 4th seized darknet marketplace Alphabay, which they say processed more than $1 billion in narcotic sales alone. The FBI did this after identifying the Thai-based administrator of Alphabay, potentially because he'd reused his personal hotmail address on Alphabay Communications. After Alphabay went dark, many users switched to rival marketplace Hansa, which processed about 1,000 orders per day, mostly for hard drugs. Unbeknownst to Hansa users, however, Dutch police had already seized that site two weeks prior to Alphabay going dark. And as users moved from Alphabay to Hansa, police watched everything they were doing. 
recording the places that drugs and other illicit goods were being shipped. Police say they then shared 10,000 foreign addresses of Hansa market buyers with the EU's law enforcement intelligence agency, Europol. One big takeaway where crime is concerned is that these supposedly secure or impenetrable sites and services don't always live up to their billing. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. This year, ISMG has held security and fraud and breach prevention summits around the world. As we reach the final stretch of 2018, we're hosting two specialized summits in New York, the Healthcare Security Summit on November 13th and 14th, and a Legal and Compliance Summit on November 15th. I asked Tom Field, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, what makes these summits different from the others? So, good question. So far this year in New York, we've done a fraud summit, which was a one-day event back in March, focused primarily on financial services and financial cyber fraud. And then we came back in the middle of the year in the summer and did a two-day security summit, which was very much focused on the security threats, preparation, response, and that was more appealing to, to all sectors. Now, next week, we have our big annual two-day healthcare information security summit, which is extremely focused on the one sector, healthcare. We're bringing in people from all over the country, both as speakers and attendees, to talk about significant issues. Like on day one, we have Greg Garcia from the uh, Cybersecurity Healthcare and Public Health Sector Coordinating Council coming in to talk about the state of healthcare security. We've got many practitioners lined up, thanks to our executive editor, Marianne Kolbesuk-McGee. And one thing I'm really excited about also on day one is a panel on medical device security, looking at security and privacy. And that features a number of panelists, including Suzanne Schwartz with the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health. So two great days of intense focus on healthcare, including some of the leading thought leaders and practitioners in the field. This is a don't miss event. So what about the following day? What about the uh, legal and compliance? That's right. On the third day, we talk about legal and compliance. This is a first time event for us. We haven't done a day devoted just to the attorneys and to compliance officers. And that's exactly what this this Thursday is next week. And there we're, we've got one day that's extremely focused on issues such as privacy, what are we looking at in the first six months or so since GDPR enforcement? We're looking at frameworks such as the NIST cybersecurity framework. In fact, we've got a, a couple of speakers coming in to talk about how the banking industry is trying to work with the NIST cybersecurity framework so that all it meets all the regulatory needs across the industry right now. We'll be talking about a new cybersecurity guideline there. Again, people talking, attorneys talking about incident response, preparation, how to, to test a plan. We'll have guidance on the best way to put together an insider threat program. Uh, terrific topics. One concentrated day. We're going to start at about 9 in the morning, be done by 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and I'm sure that all of our heads will be ready to explode by then. Very much looking forward to that. Finally, I spoke with Mitch Parker, CISO at Indiana University Health System and one of next week's speakers at the Healthcare Security Summit. I discussed with him the topic of managing third-party risk in the age of ransomware. 
Obviously, ransomware is problematic enough when it directly hits your organization, but what about if a ransomware attack targets a critical business partner? I asked Mitch how he would deal with that. I can tell you that under the HIPAA security rule, organizations are required to have downtime procedures in place, and you can't assume anymore that a third party is going to be up longer than you. If you take a look, and the case in point every healthcare organization should, is what happened with Nuance. And the reason why is because a significant number of organizations depended on them for physician dictation. And when they went down, it had far-reaching effects across the healthcare enterprise because a number of providers were not able to effectively complete business tasks. So the need to have downtime procedures as specified in the security rule is critically important because it's not just your internal organization. Third parties are going to go down as well. And you need to have alternate mode operations and downtime so that you can flip the switch to someone else and continue business even if one of your major suppliers is out of business. And we have to get rid of the preconceived notion that one supplier can do everything and that we don't want to, quote unquote, upset the apple cart with our relationships. We have to have backups because if we don't, our business continuity and our ability to conduct business could be seriously impeded with just one vendor. I also asked Mitch, with 2019 just around the corner, what his organization was planning to do to counter third-party risk in the coming year. Continuing to improve our third-party vendor risk program and to focus on collaborating with our vendors to make sure that they are addressing and assessing risk continually. We can't do anything without, without them. We need to make sure that they're able to do their job and we're able to help them out so that we all can do a better job. Ultimately, my organization is charged with the protection of patient and proprietary data. That's still our data that we hold on behalf of the patient. And we need to make sure that we communicate that responsibility to all of our business partners and work with them to make sure everyone protects the data with the same rigor that we do. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time. Thank you.